In this week's episode of The Deadliest Files, we interview Stephen Michael about being shot in a hunting accident during his playing days and his greatest achievement in football. Stephen Michael will forever carry the tag as the best Western Australian not to have played at AFL level. Michael in here, one-hander. Has that been bad? It has. Oh, great mark. Michael from point blank range, slams through South Fremantle's 15th. Joining us today is five-time best and fairest winner for South Fremantle, two-time Sandover medalist, and the player that many people often say is the best player never to have played in the national comp, the AFL. Stephen Michael, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us on. So, um, first off, uh, who's your mob and where are you from? Well, I'm a, I'm a Nungo mob. I'm, I'm from down around uh, uh, the southwest, down in 1975, tried by Luck and Perth. So, um, what was it like growing up, kicking the footy around? Like, were you always natural at footy or, or was it uh, something that you really had to work towards? Oh, I think you had original kids or Nungo kids, if you like, of course. You know, we is gifted in sport. You know, when I say sport, I think the two sports that really stood out for us is, is football and basketball. Cricket, you don't see many Indigenous players playing uh, cricket, but the footy and the basketball, that's just seemed to be an on thing all the time. We played in the backyard or back paddock or whatever. Football and we made sides up, say six or seven players each side. So we always kick the ball around no matter what we do with it. You know, like basketball, round ball, we use that as sometimes as football too. I think it's because there's no blackfella kids that are dumb enough to want to stand in a field for 10 hours in uh, pants and, and and a long top. <laughs> no one's interested in that. Um. Yeah, you're dead right what you're saying there because, you know, the people said, why don't you play cricket? I said, well, really, I said, they want to go and stand out there and a little red ball lick you. <laughs> Well, that's exactly right. And um, when you were running around having a kick at the footy, who were you pretending to be? Who were your idols when you grew up? In them days, we had the winners on a Sunday night, you know, and you, you look at the great plays like uh, the Graham Polly Farmer, you know, the Barry Cables, and, and you look at these guys and I, I reckon, you know, I don't really idolise anyone. I, I played footy, elite football when I was playing fifth, at 15 years of age. I played for the A-grade competition in coach at 15, so really... I was one of the younger and bigger guys who played in that association when I was very young. So really, I'd say I was very gifted. And when I say gifted, I had ability, natural ability, and my very good support from people who run the Cajun Football Club. Uh, my parents followed us and took us everywhere because we didn't have licence and all that, and they drove us all over the Central Great Southern and uh, supported us every, one, every minute of the way. And I think just playing for people who really put their effort in the hard yards and they get you these games. And like I said, you know, uh, my my role model is, you say you got role models in life and you got role models in football, and I'd say my role model, model is my dad my mum. They give it the time to take you to places and train and all that. You know, even if, when you get in the country weeks, you have to go to, say, Lake Grace or Narragin or wherever, and they still took you over there. There wasn't any day too hard for them to say, hang on, we can't do that. They give it the time and... They don't you know, winch about anything like that then. That was a um, measuring stick for everyone. When you look back and you reflect on your football career itself, you know, 217 games straight is something that I think uh, probably gets overshadowed by obviously all the other accolades. But was the ability to front up with injury, you know, under duress each week something that you were really, you know, you hung your hat on? Yeah, I think you look at... Um, Plays and like I look at some myself, you know, and I don't mean to give myself a big head or say I'm better than the next guy. But you were. I'm not. I'm just a normal guy. I, I, I'm just a normal guy, you know. Uh, I, I've been played with, say, um, 
shot in the legs uh, by a shotgun. I had a 44-gallon drum drop on my toes and the, and the webbing on your feet split. I've been in car accidents. But, uh, you know, the pain barrier through them times were really great for me. I want to say, you know, someone say, what's your pain barrier? And, you know, I'd say, well, maybe eight or nine, but, you know, it doesn't really bother me. But, you know, you just go out, you love the game, you want to compete, you've got good oppositions, you know, you play with a team of family members. When I say family members, you know, you look at all sporting codes, a family member. Because at the end of the day, you live and sleep and eat what these guys do with you. You, know, you, you live forever and a day with that group of people. And, you know, pain barriers, like I said, you, you just carry it on the way through. Like I said, I've been shot. Car accidents and all that, so I'll still play the next day. Tell me tell me more about being shot. What we used to do, you know, we used to go and drive a, a bush in a bloke's farm and get permission to go out and shoot these roos. And we used to line them across, a, uh, we call them uh, fence lines and pads, you know, where the roof make the tracks through. And this guy had to shoot behind me, he didn't shoot at me, he shot behind me, and it ricocheted off a dry white gum tree. And, you got me in the leads like a big march fly. And well, actually, I thought it was there on these march flies, you know, big bush flies that bite you, and I went down the brushes off and uh, seen blood come down my leg. Today, 18-year-old Billy Riley and Michael's 16-year-old brother Bobby took me back to the scene of the shooting. It was Michael's cousin, Riley, who fired the Browning semi-automatic shotgun which wounded the dual Channel 7 Sandover medalist. A party of eight was hunting kangaroos on farmer Bill Webb's property 42 kilometres west of Kojanup. A pellet was removed from behind the 28-year-old's knee and a second lodged in his hamstring muscle was left until a future decision on whether it should be removed. It wasn't too bad till I seen the blood and then I just went to jelly. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for a big bloke to go to jelly like that, it's just sort of a bit of a eye But, no, it's good, you know. When I say it's good, you know, there's no um, repercussions. The doctors want to, they said to me straight out, Steve, Steve, I'm not going in your leg because that, if you cut your muscles, you're going to do all your damage to your hamstrings and the pelvis is still on my leg at the moment. And, you know, I played on with them for, you know, when I did happen after that. That's amazing. Can't believe you got shot and played with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How good was Stephen? Yeah, he could play through getting shot. Um, so uh, when you when you do go back through your accolades, obviously the Sandovers. There's two of them. The five B and Fs. From my perspective, all Australian captain outside of. Victoria has got to be, you know, right up there. How does how does all of that stuff sit with you when you look back and and you consider the career from a footballing perspective that you had? There's two things sits very highly in my life, or maybe three. You know, uh, win those stand out medal, win it, maybe four. Win the stand out medal, a grand final, all Australian captain, and inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, over Melbourne. I, I'd say inducted today Hall of Fame in Melbourne is, is the highest one. Yeah. You look at some of the plays you didn't play against, or you played against seven states, or you look at some of the plays you played, uh, uh, watch on TV, and these, some of these guys are, are great ambassadors of football. You know, They played in the wet and the mud and, and the slop and all that, and those great role models to people who, who like myself. You, know, you look at the Lee Matthews and that, and all these great Malcolm Blight, you know, and you think you want to be like them, but you are like them, but you didn't have the didn't have the opportunity. In your own right, you played your own brand of football the way you want to play it. And, you know, I was very happy to say um, playing the state games, go over and never look at Geelong when Geelong was wanted to take me over and play through them. And I didn't really like the barbecue playing at Stanley Sakar Port when it's built now with rain and walk out on the Shell Stadium at that time was Shell Stadium and walk out to Six Stadium and the mud. And I think, gee, 
this is like a cow paddock at home in the country, you know. So, but, you know, I, I, I admire these guys, you know, a lot of guys who didn't get into the Hall of Fame. I don't like the idea of people inducting people who's passed on. I'd rather you be alive and get inducted so they appreciate Because when you're passed on and you die, then the family recognise you or people recognise the family who's, who the partner is or, or the, the uncle or the dad is. I think when you get really good at something, you're really good because you don't actually sit back and reflect. You know, you're always looking at what's next and that's what makes a lot of people who are great good because they're never happy with where they're at. They're always trying to go to that next level. So to your point there, being inducted while you're alive actually forces you to go, oh. You're dead right because it gives you the satisfaction of, of hang on, these people does recognise you from a different state, a different brand of football. I'm not saying the Victorians are better than WA. I reckon we still have the best side in the 1970s to the 1980s, we're the best players going around Australia. And I'm not being rude to the Victorians. You, know, you look at your Glenn Dinnings, you, uh, you uh, Peter Featherbees. Morris Riolis. <laughs> Morris Riolis, you know, all these Robbie Wileys, all these Kenny Hunters and all of the Mike Fitzpatricks, they all come from WA. And then without that, it's Australian. But, you know, I, I think what you do is, like now I'm coaching under 14 girls, you know, I'm 64 years of age. Why should I be doing that? But I love it because I reckon... The satisfaction I get out of seeing some young kid come along and say, right, achieve something in life, what the never ever thought they'd achieve, and support these kids if they do well, will always do well in my eyes because at the end of the day, you don't ask for something what they can't do. You ask them to say, right, give us your best shot. And if they get no kicks and Dallas Bob just play against no kicks, that person didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. And you know, I had a granddaughter on the weekend and she kicked two goals, you know, and she didn't mind playing football. But she just loved it. And that's the thing when I look at it today. And like I say, 64 years old, you shouldn't be really, not shouldn't be, you know, on there to say, see the next generation come through. What do you get out of coaching the young kids? Because obviously you achieved it all. You're in the AFL Hall of Fame. You've done everything. What is it that you love about the kids' stuff? What I love about it is the kids don't know me. You know, <laughs> all I know of me is, is that when the kids pop or, or yeah. something like that, the kids just know me as Mr. Michael. And that's, you know, I, I look at things, you know, if I didn't do it, I'll put it straight, you're a long time dead when you die. So you must enjoy life there, you can do it. Can do it. Uh, to see some of these kids come through is, is a great achievement. And some of these kids got no ability. But you just go and encourage them. And always remember an incident, I think it was, um, uh, oh, what's his name? He went from the Eagles to Carl. Chris Judd. He said he's not a role model. All players were role models in people's eyes. You know, it's a small part, you know. Yeah. They, we're all role models. So really... I look at life and say, right, I've been with the Collie Eagles since uh, I come to Collie. I've coached my drivers, I coached all the way through, coached in the 14s and all that. So I, my life span is, say, being involved with the footy with the, with the Collie Eagles. And now, five years later, I'm starting to coach the girls. And, you know, like I said, i got grandkids because if someone don't do it, what's going to happen to the kids? They're going to watch uh, computers or on their phones. Who are your favourite players to watch? Now, oh, I, I love Buddy Franklin, and you know he's good, isn't he? <laughs> unfortunately, Paddy, Buddy's getting in, and he's getting towards a career. You know, um, injury's going to start setting into him. But I, I reckon the sad part about the players today, I think it's too much training for him. I reckon they're going to start enjoying. You know, I'll tell you a story about Brownie and Mel Brown, who was our coach in nineteen eighty and nineteen eighty one. Yeah, he's packed up, packed us up on a bus. Said like, forget about training, just go away for a ride. Went out for a meal, a drink down at uh, Mount Amandra, and we, and we changed the outlook of what we're supposed to do because we went through a stage where 
that we wasn't achieving, wasn't clicking together. But, you know, like I said, Buddy, you know, you look a lot, a lot of uh, the Rioli boys, Kip and Mary, you know, all these Indigenous players coming through. And, and you look at, you know, the guy I really love is from Richmond, the young Stack. Sydney Stack, yeah. Yeah, Sydney. He, he just, I went and watched him play out in Melbourne. I, I just love the guy, you know. These guys come from nowhere and they achieved a lot. The same to Tim Kelly and all these guys, you know. They're all Indigenous players, but don't you love watching your family or your brothers? Because we're all brothers at the end of the day. Do you just get such a great sense of pride when you see Indigenous players dominating? Because <laughs> we're, we're pretty good. <laughs> that goes back to self-belief. You know? you, you're going to have self-belief in yourself and say, right, I'm better than this guy. Because we always come down here. I always remember the day I come down to Fremantle and you run out there and you think, oh, Jesus, what's going on here? It's, you know, <laughs> more different people and you don't know them. And you strive hard to do better. And you got to do better than they are. And that's what we do as Indigenous people. You know, these guys who go away from home, I was very fortunate I didn't go away from home, but the guys like a Buddy Franklin from Darren, a little country town in the Wheatbelt area, you know, these guys just lifted up and so went and they achieved miracles, miracles. And you know, they are role models. You, know, you just look at the, the things that they achieve, isn't it? You know, they're all talking about people's home. And you mentioned these guys and these um, ambassadors. Sport. I think is one of those places where, as blackfellas, it, it, it's it's the most level playing field that we've got. You know, like, like society, we don't have it, but in sport, it gives us an opportunity to start at the ground floor with everyone, and we've shown like how good we can be. And these and these people, like you, only have to look at Goodsy and what he's done for oh, for yeah. blackfellas. You know, like, a, and that's off the back of like you said, being a good sportsman, but then recognising that he's a role model. We've got a lot of hurdles on the way through. We're still having the hurdles at the moment on the way through. And the quicker we get rid of these uh, hurdles and say, right, people look at us as just normal people, and we are normal people, and we are gifted with sport. And, then, you know, people say, right, hang on, don't call them names. Just go and embrace them and call them one of your brothers. Exactly. Now, I wanted to... You touched on that barbecue down in Geelong very briefly, Stephen. Can you tell us that story properly? Because I think it's quite funny about you probably not going to leave Frio. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of uh, um, uh, pressure from, say, Geelong, maybe a few other clubs, but Geelong was a close running. And then, you know, they said, I'll oh, come over, so it flows over. And, you know, the first thing I saw, I'll come and look at the Shaw Stadium. And the thing that really blew me away, you know, it's pissing out of rain. And they want to have a barbecue. And I think, geez, is it, is, I don't know. It's maybe from a different planet. But, you know, but, you know it's good, you know. Like, you know I'm very good. Uh, Billy Crockham was the coach at the time. And, you know, Billy's a great guy. And the Brian Peaks went over there. The Gary Malakos went there. The Peter Furtherby's went there. And, and you look at Peter Furtherby, you know, people talk about these guys getting 30-odd positions today or 35 positions. Peter Feather, we got that winning supreme and the wing for Geelong. So, you know, it's nothing different than the generation of the footy going through, but Peter was an outside player, and, but these guys could kick uh, back or kick backwards all the time to get their two possessions. Was it the rain coming in almost upwards? Yeah. <laughs> but, it's just unbelievable. You were like, nah, um, <laughs> I don't know if Geelong's for me, man. <laughs> you think the rain uh, turned the world upside down? Today, I, I live in Melbourne today. I live out in the country. Yeah. I, I reckon Melbourne's a great place because we come over every year for holiday over there and uh, I reckon it's one of the greatest places. It's very easy to get around. Shop, shopping centres are very easy to follow the straight uh, directions on it. Yeah, I love it. Obviously, you're a really strong family man and your family means, it's clear, it comes through everything to you. Was that a big reason or the main reason behind you not leaving? 
I was very fortunate going to a very good club or coming from a good club coach. I went to South Mel. I think in the first year we played in the grand final, the very good club of Fremantle, uh, they embraced my family. I'm not saying footy clubs don't embrace families because they do. Yeah. And, and, you know, we had nothing like support for mum and dad. They looked after them like those royalties, really. And and I said, well, you know, why are we going to go and watch play, watch me play in Melbourne where it takes you two hours, the two and a half hours come up with cozying up, you get accommodation, you don't have to stress. And plus dad wasn't really making big dollars on the railways. And, and then in the times, it was very hard to make good dollars. And coming from a family of, say, 11 or 12, coming from that number of families, so there wasn't really a great amount of spare cash to catch them over the plane over Melbourne, then fly and drive down to Geelong. So it was always a pleasure to see your family. And the grassroots, of it, if you had problems, you'd always talk to them. There's no good talking about the phone. You know, if I had a problem... I'd always up in the car and go down there or vice versa. And it's always good for the grandkids or they go down and see their grandparents doing cars. It's it's a pleasure. I always well I drive trucks occasionally too. I drive road trains. And people say, Why well, you still drive road trains still? I call it recharging your battery. And that's what you do with family. When you're away from your family and you go back and see them or they catch up with you, it's recharge your batteries. From, I guess, an Indigenous perspective, young guys and girls coming through now, blackfellas, what do you see as the biggest challenges for them in trying to make it into the AFL? I don't think there's a big challenge. I think all they have to do is be committed. When I say committed, I I reckon it's like any kids. And when I say any kids, I've got a foundation going at the moment and it's for boys and girls and non-Indigenous kids and Indigenous kids. So really, I don't see it as a, a great challenge. All I see overall in life of kids coming through to play sport is that they have the dedication, support and commitment. And at the end of the day, we can't tell the kids what to do. We can ask them and guide them to a certain extent. If they want to be like a great champion, like a Cathy Freeman or Buddy Franklin or whoever wants to play sport, they can do that. They've got the opportunity to do that because the door's always open. And I think today's society is where we're going to embrace as one, not as individuals. You know, when I say as one, I think we're going to look forward to going forward with life, with all communities and race in, in, in the world at the moment. Can you tell me a little bit more about the foundation? Because it's amazing work that you guys are doing. Uh, the foundation started about two and a half years ago. It started at Mega there and and unfortunately, Make It There was, uh, oh, I wouldn't say the best place, but it was a very hard place because it's all Indigenous kids going to school there. And uh, we set up there and we got kids off the streets. Did you got to remember there's no football there? There's no football or basketball, but they got a basketball court, a football court, and a cricket court. So they got all this stuff in place there, but they got no one to play against because the nearest place is, say, Mount Magnet, and and Durham, Luluna. So it's a three or four hour drive to get them to play. But we go up every, um, maybe once a month, take these kids up there. Uh, we've got the show on board, we've got the police department, we've got all these uh, support groups from uh, the business type situation coming on board. So we graduated a kid come out of year 12 about two years ago. So he's come out of the Indigenous uh, group and graduated at year 12. Uh, he's now he's working for the foundation. We've got a group in Carnarvon, we've got a group in Durham, go to Luna. The best place what we got going at the moment is Narragum. We got 130 something girls wow. playing football and they got no competition to play anywhere. We're trying to get them into a competition. We're taking the Perth and, the, and they do try out there. Uh, we coach them, get anything we're going to do and we're going to come into Collie 
next term, uh, school when school goes back next term. So it, it's 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 like I say, it's for boys, girls, Indigenous kids, non-Indigenous. It's all about everyone. And you know, I, I look at it. It's it's something where we all got problems in life, no matter who you are or what colour you are. And all I'm doing is, or not I'm doing, the people who, who run the foundation, we go out and say, try to get everyone on board. All I'm is a figurehead. I'll put my big buffet out there and go to the stools and that, you know, and say, right, this is um, uh, who I am. Uh, I stand for this situation where we're going to come into the school and I support that all the time. I do, you know, I do a bit of work, but, you know, the work I do is just being appearance on the on the side or on the job, if you like that. I do know what you mean. Um, back to you and football, you know, we've gone through some of your achievements. When you're in something like another list, like the deadliest, which is what you're in the top 16 Indigenous players as voted by a panel of AFL experts. How does that make you feel when you're elevated again into that kind of space? It makes me feel very, very humble that I'm up in the top 16, inducted with a great group of people who's been in the same thing. But also look at, it takes a team. It's not an individual sport. It takes a team of players of Indigenous families or teammates who's not Indigenous to make you as you are. And I think I look at life and where I want to achieve something and I put your mind to it. You know, I'm very fortunate. I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't do drugs. So that's a big bonus to me for an Indigenous boy to come through and, and don't get into them three categories. But at the end of the day, you're going to have your goals that you're going to set yourself. You know, you're going to say, right, three years down the track, I'm going to play AFL. You're going to say, do the hard yards because it doesn't come easy. No one's going to give you something on the silver platter and say, right, you know, you're just walking in the door because you're so gifted. Especially as a black fella, you don't care. That's dead right. That's dead right. On your football gravestone, what would you like to read? How would you like to be described as a footballer? I hope I'm not going to die yet. <laughs> no, from a football point of view. <laughs> no, you, you look younger than me, you prick. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't know me, I'm very humble what I achieve. I don't talk about myself much. I'm not a great person to brag about things. You know, when I die, and I was for a long while, yeah, but I just hope they just leave me with my memories of my children and the kids' memory as I was. Not, not as a superstar. I don't believe I'm a superstar. I just believe I'm a happy dad for seven kids and 25 grandkids. And that's what I look at. Footy is something that you achieve along the way in life and it's just like anything it's like a job you set yourself goals and ambitions to say right i want to be the best what i can achieve and i played with some great players and against some great players so really the task was for me is to do well and black fellas always set that task to be better than the next guy when you said being humble I was like, I've been given the impossible task of getting Stephen Michael to talk about himself. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's really hard to get you to brag or speak about yourself. And that's been the case with a lot of the guys. I guess just in closing, I think it's really important for me to say how the esteem in which you're held, it couldn't be higher. Um, what you did on the field, what you continue to do in the community and who you are as a person, they all intersect to make who Stephen Michael is. And from me, on behalf of everyone who's watching, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, but also thanks for being such an inspiration to so many people out there. No, thank you. Like I said, people, talk's very cheap. 
you don't charge them for listening, you don't charge them for talking to them. And like I say, 10 minutes of your time is a gift to someone who knows you, who recognises you, and they go away with a different point of view and you call up and promote yourself. And that's what I do a lot is, is just talk to the average person you know, and they go away, oh, Steve, I'm not a very guy. And that's all I seem to be doing in life is say, right, if I'm down fishing on the coast or in the city or at the footy, with even the kids, I take the footy, you know, and they say, oh, Mr. Mock, do you know Black Nadia? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, but I don't know him. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. And congratulations again on being one of the deadliest. Thank you. Thanks very much. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our feed so you don't miss any deadly stories. Don't forget to tune into Yokai Footy at 8pm Wednesdays on NITV and the AFL Network.